day is the fourth Sunday after Trinity Sunday. The Gospel reading appointed for this day is taken from the first chapter of St. John's Gospel, beginning with the 19th verse. Now this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then, are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees. And they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize, if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. Is he who, coming after me, is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose? These things were done in Bethabara, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. This is the gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from Jesus Christ, his Son, our Savior. Amen. What is your confession of the faith? It's not just a matter of what you affirm. It's also a matter of what you reject, what you deny. It's not just what you approve. It is also a matter of what you deny. We find this throughout the creeds and confessions of the church. If one affirms one thing, then another thing must be denied. This is why when we hear the words of the of St. John the Apostle, an evangelist, as he wrote by inspiration of the Holy Ghost, concerning St. John the Baptist, Now this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed, and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. St. John knew who he was, therefore he also knew who he was not. The Jews, we are told, sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask St. John, Who are you? We understand that this inquiry came from the Pharisees, for the evangelist affirms that though it was priests and Levites who came, they were sent from the Pharisees. They had heard of what St. John the Baptist was doing. St. Luke wrote of the specific circumstances when St. John began to preach. For thus we read in Luke, the third chapter, now in the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Iturea, and the region around Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Ebelene, while Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. The specificity of St. John's account informs us that St. John began to preach a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins in the year 29. In the midst of all that was transpiring in the realm of politics, with the complicated relationship between Pilate, Herod, Philip, Lysanias, Annas and Caiaphas, with their wrangling for domination and their power politics, the authority which mattered was that bestowed upon St. John, for the word of God came to John the son of Zechariah in the wilderness, and it was then, around the Jordan, that he was preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. 
John did not just call them to repentance. He preached a baptism of repentance for the remission, that is, the forgiveness, of sins. And we'll return to this point. But it's worth noting that the sacrament of baptism administered by St. John was substantially different from the so-called proselyte baptisms which the Jews performed. Proselyte baptism was something which was done when a Gentile converted to Judaism. For men it occurred after they had been circumcised. But John administered holy baptism to the Jews for the remission of sins. And this confused the Pharisees. The priests and Levites who were sent to John came with their three questions. Who are you? Are you Elijah? And are you the prophet? The first was a direct attempt to see whether John would claim to be the Christ. That is why he replied to them, I am not the Christ. The next two questions are caught up in the confusions of the doctrine of the Jews. For some imagined that the promise of the Elijah who was to come would be the same Elijah who was carried up to heaven in a chariot of fire. This is why John tells them that he is not Elijah. For he was the Elijah who was to come, but he was not the one that they were looking for. Now I suspect that this was intended as a trap, for the priests and Levites knew that John was the son of Zecharias and Elizabeth. They imagined that they would trap him in an overt lie. As Holy Scripture teaches us, there had been great expectation concerning John ever since he was born. The question whether John was the prophet was again connected with the Messiah, because Christ is the promised one. There is a specific point, not just a general question about whether or not John was a prophet. John was, in short, more than a prophet, but he was not the prophet. Who is John? He tells us. He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. John did not hesitate to declare that his ministry is that which was foretold by the prophet Isaiah, for this is the ministry to which he was called in the wilderness. We do not need to know what filled the life of John in the years between his birth and the calling from the Lord which he received in the wilderness. John affirms what is true and denies what is false. He claims nothing more nor less than what is true, and he does not trouble himself with the way in which Jerusalem will respond. After all, St. Luke records, Then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. There is a need for repentance. For those who came out into the wilderness might still cling to the notion that they were more worthy based on their coming to John and based on their status as sons of Abraham according to the flesh. St. John teaches that being a child of Abraham is not a matter of genetics or family lineage, but of faith. There were those among the Jews who imagined that birth as Gentiles tainted converts. Proselyte baptism was intended to address that impurity. The divinely appointed sacrament of initiation in the Old Testament was circumcision. But there were apparently those among the Jews who were convinced that this was not enough where impure Gentiles were concerned. 
In his book, Infant Baptism in the First Four Centuries, Joachim Jeremias observes that when Gentiles converted, the whole household received proselyte baptism. In Jeremias's words, when Gentiles adopted the Jewish faith, it was completely taken for granted that at the same time, the children also, including even the very young children, should be received into the Jewish faith. The oldest rabbinic sources, the Tanaitic tradition, give numerous instances of the reception of small Gentile children and babies into the Jewish faith. For the girls, the act of admission was baptism. For the boys, it was preceded by circumcision, which in certain cases had to be administered as early as the day of birth. End quote. The Jews wouldn't have been shocked by infant baptism any more than seeing a boy circumcised on the eighth day. What shocked them was for St. John to be baptizing Jews. Didn't he know, the Pharisees might have said among themselves, that these are the descendants of Abraham? The Pharisees seem utterly clueless concerning that which Holy Scripture affirms concerning John. That is, that he is the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. They can only think of their own authority and care little for the fulfillment of the word of God. St. John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. John baptizes, one, with, the, with water, for, two, the remission of sins. Baptism is for the forgiveness of sins, beginning with the baptism of John. And the need for baptism became universal. For the Christ was baptized by St. John to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus was baptized so that all who are baptized into him would receive the forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. Here, then, we consider the argument from the lesser to the greater. As St. John affirms that he is not worthy to loose the, the Christ's sandal strap, and yet John's baptism with water is for the remission of sins, how great is the consolation of holy baptism as the apostles were commanded to baptize all nations. St. John wrote to the Romans, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. And St. Peter, in his first epistle, affirms that baptism now saves us. For it is, as St. Peter declared, on the day of Pentecost, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children, and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Our need to be joined to the life and resurrection of the Christ is manifest as we consider the infirmity of our flesh and the just judgment which stood against us on account of our sin. It is as we read in the words of Isaiah, the 40th chapter, All flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. In the just judgment of God, there is none born among the children of Adam who could stand. All we who were born under sin on account of the transgression of Adam, 
and to which we have added in our sin by thought, word, and deed every moment throughout our lives. What answer could we give to the just judge on account of what is in us by nature? For we deserve condemnation. But the Christ has come that we might have life in him. This is what we hear of him whose sandal strap St. John was not worthy to loose. Christ Jesus carried the weight of the world's sin in his own body, that he would make atonement for all our sin through his death upon the cross. Because Jesus made this atonement, and we have been made partakers of salvation through baptism into him, through faith in him, we hear in the words of the epistle appointed today from St. Paul's letter to the Philippians, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. We are anxious for nothing, for the Lord has provided that which we needed above all. The Lord is at hand. The word is his. The absolution is his. Baptism is his. The sacrament of the altar, his body and blood, given and shed for the remission of sins, all these are his. The victorious Lord who rose from the grave and ascended to the right hand of the Father will return in glory. Jesus, whose advent in humility we will celebrate in a few short days, is the same Christ who will return in judgment, who will gather his church to be with him forever. The traditions of men can almost obscure, obscure the meaning of Advent and Christmas. It is thus that the word is proclaimed each year to call our hearts and minds back to that which the Lord has made known to us. The one whose way St. John the Baptist prepared, the one who was born in Bethlehem and who died and rose again in Jerusalem, is our life. Into Christ Jesus we have been baptized, we who were unclean and unworthy on account of our sin have the righteousness of Christ Jesus credited to us, so that we are now at peace with God. Amen. Let us pray. Stir up, O Lord, we beseech thee, thy power and come, and with great might succor us, that by the help of thy grace whatsoever is hindered by our sin may be speedily accomplished through thy mercy and satisfaction, who livest and reignest with the Father and the Holy Ghost, ever one God, world without end. Amen. The people of Salem Lutheran Church of Malone invite you to visit them today for the 10 a.m. service. Sunday school will follow immediately after the divine service. In this week, we also have services on Wednesday at 11 a.m. and 7 p.m. for when we will observe, transferred, the festival of St. Thomas the Apostle. Also on Thursday, we will celebrate the festival of St. Thorlac, Bishop and Confessor with a matins at 11 a.m. On Friday, Christmas Eve, we will have a Vespers at 6.30 p.m. And on Christmas Day, on Saturday, we will have the Divine Service at 10 a.m. Next Sunday, our services will be, as is according to our regular schedule, at 10 a.m. We wish you God's blessings as we observe the solemnities of our Lord's birth in Bethlehem this week.